Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, something new for you today on the Rest is History feed, because we're giving you a chance to try out our new podcast, a sister podcast, called The Rest is Politics. Catchy title. It's hosted by Alistair Campbell, who used to be the spin doctor for Tom Holland's hero, Tony Blair, and the former Conservative MP and Cabinet Minister, Roy Stewart, who used to be at university with me. And they're going to be getting into current events and politics from Britain and across the world. Now, obviously, as you might imagine, the first episode is dominated by Ukraine uh, with insights from having actually met and dealt with Vladimir Putin uh, when he was still welcome in the capitals of the West. You can find a link to the full episode in the show notes or just search for The Rest is Politics. Wherever you listen to us, the rest is history. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Rory Stewart. And I'm Alistair Campbell. Welcome to our new podcast, The Rest of This Politics. Look, Alistair, we, we, we had grand plans for what we want to talk about. We were going to, I think, talk about our different backgrounds, our different political interests. We were going to talk about mental health. I was going to talk about Afghanistan. But we just suddenly found ourselves, I think, facing this insane situation in Ukraine. Probably the biggest single thing since the Second World War in terms of European war. I know, and it's just incredibly depressing. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in finding it very, 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 very hard to sleep at the moment. And I know we'll have lots of time, hopefully. We'll, hopefully this is the first of many, and we'll cover all sorts of stuff on this podcast. But frankly, there is only one place to start. We're recording this on the morning, Tuesday the 1st of March. So how do we start talking about Ukraine? I think the first thing is, is just the, the scale of it. it it's almost unimaginable that um, for the first time since the Second World War, we're seeing an invasion of this scale taking place in Europe. And it undoes so many of the assumptions that people had since 1989, since the end of the Cold War. I mean, I remember when I was chair of the Defence Committee, and I was trying to argue for why we wanted to keep some troops in Europe and tanks in Europe and heavy bridging capacity. Essentially, people laughed at it and were saying, actually, even quite recently, that the days of wars, land wars in Europe were over. 
I think part of the problem is that Putin has been planning this kind of thing and building up to this kind of thing for some time. And at the moment, when you think about where it goes, he either retreats in humiliation, and I think the chances of that are negligible, uh, or he just keeps going and going and going and going. And, and I think part of, part of Putin's um, modus operandi, particularly in the kind of the the second half of his of his rule i think i think it's been interesting to watch him develop but he 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 doesn't stop and we saw that in you know he's still in syria uh he exploits weakness wherever he sees it and i think at the moment he's seen an awful lot of weakness and he's exploiting it so it's very very hard to work out where it goes there is one big thing we can do which will make a huge difference but i, I mean i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about putin but quickly i think the one big thing is oil and gas i think that is so central to the russian economy and it's going to be very costly for Germany and Italy, 40% of their gas, more than 40% in Italy's case, to cut that off and it'll have an impact on the European global economy. But it can totally be done. There are alternative sources. People can convert to oil. They can bring in liquid natural gas from Qatar, from the US. We need to do that immediately. That is the one thing that Putin assumes will not be done. And that's the one thing that will have a huge impact. But tell us, Elsa, you've actually met the guy, which I haven't. What, what, what is your sense of Putin as a man? Uh... Well, I saw him in various phases. Um, we first, Tony Blair first met Putin before he became president. And I remember the foreign office being a little bit worried that we shouldn't be seeing him before he became president, but everybody knew that he was going to be president. And it was a little bit sort of, you know, trying to get ahead of the game in a way. And it's funny, I was looking at some of the news footage that they were playing on the on the BBC the other night. He looks completely different today to how he did then and it's not just age because actually his age he is de-aged with all his botox and his plastic surgery and all the rest of it but he looked very almost timid um very slight very small very quite quiet and i think at that stage had decided that he was going to if you like look more more favorably towards the west than historically maybe people like him have done um and I think, I think then the next phase was where he started to perhaps understand how difficult reform was in Russia, but also I think he started to feel his power. And I, th I can remember, I think it was 2003, and I left Downey Street in 2003, so that was probably the last time I saw him face to face. He was a completely different animal already. He phoned, the, 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 the Russians uh, got in touch with number 10, they invited Tony Blair out. It was literally like a day trip. And we thought this might be a bridge building exercise. And we got there and we landed and we got flown to some place in the middle of nowhere, which is his vast dacha with swimming pools and stallions and butlers and all the sort of stuff you associate with, you know, newfound oligarchical wealth. And he proceeded to, I can't even, that humiliates the wrong word because Tony doesn't sort of lend himself to humiliation, but just to abuse him. And to shout and to, he was really, really raging about the Americans in every single aspect of foreign policy. And basically, he didn't say Bush's poodle, but it wasn't far off. Was he doing the, this on camera or he was just doing this privately? No, what happened was we had, we got there, had a meeting. Then there was a very short sort of uh, press conference and he really laid in. I, I'll never forget Trevor Kavanagh of The Sun was there. And I could, I'll never forget the look on Trevor Kavanagh's face. He sort of, I think they'd gone there thinking this was just a sort of, you know, going to be a non-event day trip. And he suddenly realized, oops, there's quite a big story here. And 
then we went into dinner and it was at the dinner that he really, really started to lay in. Um, and I remember coming out, David Manning, who was our main foreign affairs advisor. And he said, I've never, ever, ever seen anything like that. And I said, that's sort of the death of diplomacy. He said, exactly. Anyway, so that's 2003. We're almost two decades on. So if that was the change between 99 and 2003, why should we think that he hasn't <laughs> changed in many, many, many ways since? It's it's bizarre watching him too, isn't it? Because as you say, his um his face has that very, very odd shape that you get from kind of billionaires who are using weird sort of, I don't know what they use, some unspeakable sort of treatment on their on their features. And it's um and as you say, this insane table, mm. his extreme COVID regulations, the sense in the last um televised event that the head of his foreign intelligence service looks completely sort of paralyzed and terrified when Putin's talking. The The invasion of Crimea, it was said in 2014, was an all-night event where he was consulting with these people, trying to convince them. This time, it seems as though he didn't consult at all. And that's actually what's made the really impressive achievement of American intelligence. Um, because really, they called the whole thing. I mean, it's the one big success. In fact, actually, we should... People sometimes ask what the use of intelligence is. But here, because the CIA basically found the entire invasion plan and then decided to go public with it three weeks ago and said, this guy's going to invade on this date, completely destroyed Putin's attempt to pretend it was a spontaneous reaction to you know, genocide in Ukraine or some mm -hmm. provocation in Ukraine and actually gave the West three weeks to build up and also gave three weeks to a lot of people to embarrass themselves saying, don't worry, he's never going to invade. The Americans are crying wolf. This is ridiculous. Including actually, you know, the ex-head of the British intelligence service saying, mm. if anybody thinks this guy is going to roll into Kiev and try to occupy Ukraine, of course, that's not going to happen. So I, I think it's been interesting that, that it's probably the, the, the biggest intelligence success in, in the last 25 years. Yeah, it's very hard to define it in those terms when you see what's actually happening now. It's all very well to know something's going to happen. It's what you do to prevent it. Yeah. And what do you do when it happens? And I think that's where at the moment we look a little bit, as you indicated earlier, like we're, we're catching up after the event and, and we're, you do have a sense of, you know, we all feel powerless, but even the people in power, I think, are feeling quite powerless. And there's a lot of bluff, isn't there? There's a lot of people, you know, saying we're sending x amount of money and it turns out to be you know we're sending 80 million at the same time when yesterday i believe europe transferred 300 million to russia to pay for oil and gas mm. so the kind of gap between what we claim we're doing and what we're actually doing is still very extreme but what what do you do you, you talked about bluff what, what when you have a situation where he's he he denies he's going to invade but everybody knows that he is and as you say they've the americans kind of got it yeah. almost hour by hour um <sighs> I did feel a little bit worried that the, the default position of most of the Western leaders as that was happening was essentially to say to their own public opinion, don't worry, we will not be fighting him in Ukraine. Now, I completely understand why, okay? But if you're sitting there as Putin and your entire strategy is founded upon strength, are you not seeing weakness that you think... So that was the first 10 minutes or so of our new podcast, The Rest is Politics, with me, Rory Stewart, and Alistair Campbell. We hope you enjoyed it. Later in the episode, we get into the question of the most effective response from NATO, Russian money, 
an influence in Western politics. And we even find time to squeeze in an extraordinary anecdote about Bono and Bob Geldof berating Tony Blair. To listen to it, you can find the link in the episode description or just search The Rest is Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening again. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Thank you.